What's up, everybody? I'm Sarah. I'm Shauna. I'm Sam. And I'm Bobby. And this is Speaking of Murder. everybody to another episode of speaking of murder today we're going to get part two of the clutter family sarah is going to be finishing out the story for us but before we get to that a little bit of business check out our other podcasts speaking of missing persons and speaking of hauntings if you're new to the show and you haven't heard either of those go check them out they are awesome if you like this you like those. The Haunting, probably especially because we let loose a little bit more on that one. It's a little bit more fun and goofy, and I enjoy that one quite a bit myself making that. Yeah, me I, too. I have a lot of fun. It's fun It's fun recording those, yeah. So, and I am ready to hear the second half of this story. The curiosity is killing me. I've been waiting for so long. It's been like a whole half an hour for us. <laughs> you guys have had to wait a week, and I'm just... I want to know what happens. Yeah, we didn't have to wait this time. No, no, this didn't time have to wait. we didn't have to wait a whole week. So that half an hour though was super excruciating. Oh, it was absolutely. Mm. Sarah got a full interrogation, but she did not crack. <laughs> she gave no more information. We had one of those lamps from up above. You know, we darkened the rest of the room. Tell us the rest of the story. I accidentally hit her in the head. She kept it together. It was impressive. Yeah, I'm just an impressive person. <laughs> Indeed. So right. Where we left off. What, uh, we left off where we found out their plan. Right. What this job is that Hickok was talking about, right. which is going to the Clutter family farm, finding this so-called safe, and stealing $10,000, and then going to Mexico. You boys like Mexico? <laughs> First, they had to make it to Holcomb, which was 400 miles away from where they currently were, which, again, was a suburb, like, outside of Kansas City, Kansas. But they're only taking $10,000. That's the goal. $1959, was a lot of money. Yeah, and that was a, an assumption of $10,000. Yeah, it could have been... What are y'all talking about? Right now, $10,000 is a lot of money. I mean, yeah, we could use an extra ten k. Would not be mad about it. No. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Would not. I'm just saying, about to that. plan a whole murder for $10,000, in the maybe. 50s. Okay. Well, they didn't it's necessarily they didn't necessarily have the plan that they were going there to kill anyone. It was just if anyone saw them there, they were going to kill them. Well, beyond that, we've talked about much more recent stories where there's murder for hire for less than half of that. I was going to say, people True. kill for like $300 in a cash register. Like, oh yeah, you know? I'm just saying, 
400 miles. To Shauna, that's a lot of work to go get $10,000. It really <laughs> is. <laughs> not for pre-established criminals. No. I mean, I guess. <laughs> Good thing I'm not one of those. <laughs> That's just too. Shauna's just expressing her, like not wanting to have... work that hard for ten thousand yeah. dollars. <laughs> First off, you got that four hundred mile drive. The fact that they had to fix up the damn car—that's money too. So you got gas. Not technically, because Hickok worked for a mechanic and he got all of that stuff for free. I'm just saying, if you take in account. Of all the time spent and the all the time spent, he's been planning this for months. Right. That's too down much to the time. F- at, down to the very last detail. It's too much time for $10,000. Not in the 50s to a criminal. I'm sure he had done, you know, he had went out of his way for much less. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's been in and out of prison for writing bad checks for not really a substantial amount of money. I'm just saying. So if he's willing to go to prison for like twenty or thirty dollars, sometimes a hundred dollars, I'm pretty sure he's willing to drive four hundred miles for ten thousand. Possibly stealing ten grand. Yeah. I'm just saying, I would not be a criminal. We know. Too fucking lazy. <laughs> well, hopefully that's not the only thing keeping me from being a criminal. Yeah. No prison. lack of motivation. <laughs> prison is also keeping me from doing it. So you would be a criminal if it weren't for prison and how much work it takes to be a criminal? You know what? I might. <laughs> not because you have like a moral compass or anything. No, it's just too much time, <laughs> and prison is scary. I mean, <laughs> motivation enough. <laughs> anyway, once the pair reached Emporia, Kansas, think I'm saying that right? They stopped to buy Smith a pair of rubber gloves because he hadn't brought any, like Hickok told him to, and. They also needed to buy rope. And this rope was like a kind of a big argument between the two of them because Smith knew how to tie knots. He was like, had been in the military at some point in his life and he knew all about knots and rope and all of that stuff. But he wanted to know how much rope they're going to need. And Hickok couldn't answer him how many people would actually be in this house because all Wells had told him was they had four kids, but some of them didn't live there anymore and they always had people at their house and blah, blah, blah. So Hickok was pretty much like get enough rope to tie up at least eight to 12 people. And then Smith is like, are you telling me there's a possibility we have to kill eight to 12 people? That's insane. And a- and Hickok's response was like, yeah, you have to be prepared to kill anyone that witnesses this. See, this is a lot of work. Yeah, to go into it with the mindset of, well, I mean, I could potentially have to kill 8 to 12 people. That's I'm prepared for that. People. That's a lot. Yeah. That's well, crazy. After this stop, 
they then smith tried to convince hickok to not like let's not go there with the intent to kill how about we find some black pantyhose and put them over our face and then we don't have to kill anybody right okay much better plan yes miss got some some plans right well at the store with the rope they asked one of the employees, well, Smith did, if they had black pantyhose. And she's like, no, only tan. Well, then his next idea was let's stop at the local Catholic hospital and ask a nun for her black pantyhose or where she gets her black pantyhose. Probably any clothing store. Well, he let Hickok go into the hospital to do this. Did he rob a nun of her pantyhose? No. <laughs> Like he at just, some point, take off your fucking pantyhose. No, he you just stood left, inside. Like, the right one. He just stood inside the door and pretended like he asked, and then came <laughs> outside and was like, "Nope, couldn't find any nuns." And I'm sorry, but that would have also been me. <laughs> <laughs> I asked. I swear I did. <laughs> so Smith knew he was lying. He's like, "I know you just went in there and stood and didn't even try." <laughs> And Hickok's like, I'm not going to embarrass myself by asking a nun for her pantyhose. Like, let's <laughs> just go to this house and do the plan. I mean, it didn't have to be pantyhose. <laughs> it could be I'm any sorry, article this of clothing funny. to cover their face if that's what they were trying to do. Is anyone picking up on how much of a comedy movie these two are? <laughs> oh, this is like a, it's really been described a lot as like, a movie like it's not funny but it's kind of funny well hickok had he he had no intention on finding the black pantyhose he wanted well nobody knows for sure but smith felt after the fact that hickok didn't really want to go there just for the money so like he wanted to experience killing people no we'll talk about it later why smith thinks he really wanted to go there after the pantyhose and the rope situation they stopped to eat at great bend to celebrate this money that they didn't even have yet oh my god (laughs) oh my god but at first smith was like not realizing that's what they were doing he he just thought they were stopping for dinner and he was like cool i'm gonna get a root beer and a sandwich because Fun fact about Smith, he was addicted to root beer and aspirin. <laughs> you know, that's an interesting you could combo. Be, you could be addicted to worse things. I mean, I don't see why with the aspirin, but root beer is he delicious. Was a, he was addicted to aspirin because of his legs. It was like the oh, only thing right. that helped his leg pain. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. For, okay. I mean, we're in 1959, before like a lot of these medications were around and they used aspirin a lot for everything yeah so he would take like three aspirin at a time oh shit multiple times a day apparently that's not healthy and he would actually chew them instead of just swallowing them because he liked the way they tasted ew they're Mm. so gross i haven't taken an aspirin since i was 10 (laughs) and gross God forbid he got a paper cut. Dude uh, I, would bleed out. I keep aspirin with me at all times, but it's not something that I take often. I can't. I literally can't take aspirin. Aspirin oh, yeah. alone will 
caused me to have a severe asthma attack. All right. So this dinner that Hickok was like, no, we're going to celebrate. So let's order whatever we want. And I'm going to assume because it wasn't said that they paid for this said dinner with a bad check. Probably. Because they, they didn't have they the didn't really have money. They didn't have that ten thousand dollars yet. I know, but they were celebrating it. <laughs> Maybe he was hoping by the time that the restaurant tried to cash the check that they would have the ten thousand dollars <laughs> and would actually be able to pay for the dinner. Maybe. Because they both ordered a steak, baked potatoes, French fries, fried onions, succotash. Side dishes of macaroni and hominy, side salads with Thousand Island dressing, cinnamon rolls, apple pie, ice cream, and coffee. This... What the fuck is this? A last meal? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. It sounds like a last meal. No, this was their celebration meal. Okay. What and the then after is... this, they got rolled out of the restaurant <laughs> like the blue girl from Willy Wonka. Fucking Willy Wonka. <laughs> after... Violet. No, they went to the closest drugstore bought some cigars and some thick rolls of what i'm assuming is duct tape uh hickok had come up with the whole plan and was laying what he like i said he was lying to smith like his goal in this with this money was he wanted to start his own business get a house a new car and he wanted his own horse for ten thousand dollars back that's, then, that's well, back what then, I'm saying. It Mustang, doesn't seem worth it. You could buy a brand new Mustang for under five thousand dollars back then. So ten thousand dollars would get you a brand new car or a used car for next to nothing, and probably a hefty down payment on a house or just a really small house. You could probably buy. Did they have mobile homes back then? I think I think they did. Yeah, there you go. He's got a a new used new to him pre-loved car and <laughs> new a new to him pre-loved mobile home except for the fact that he has to live with his damn parents yeah he's supposed to but obviously he doesn't care this dumbass over here so he was like never going to tell smith that that was his plan until like after the you know, they were sure that everything worked out and they didn't get caught. Then I guess his idea was he was just going to ditch Smith in Mexico. And take all the money. And take all the money Mexico. or half the money or whatever. It never said. Yeah, well, if he's only getting $5,000, that, that mobile home and car better be the crappiest shit he can find. Well, here we go, guys. Hold on to your whatever, your butts your legs your whatever you got to hold on to because on I have a tight grip on my headphones <laughs> so they don't fly off on sunday november 15th <laughs> a friend of nancy's we're gonna call her mary because most people leave her name out of things her and her dad pulled into the driveway of the clutter family home on sunday morning because this girl rode with the Clutter family to church every Sunday because her parents did not go to church. So her father pulls in the driveway and he always stayed and waited for her to get inside the house before he drove away. And he had never been inside the Clutter house before. 
You're going to need that information in a little bit. She first knocks on the front door. No one answers. She goes to the side door that leads into the office, knocks on that door, realizes that it's a jar, and, but, and sees that all the lights are still off in the house. But she doesn't feel comfortable just going inside the house because she's said that was rude to do at that time without being invited in. So she close, like she shuts that door, goes to the back of the house. She sees that both of their cars are still in the garage, goes to the kitchen door, knocks on that door. No one answers. So she goes back to her dad and she's like, I don't know what's going on. They're not answering the door. He's like, well, maybe they're still asleep. She's like, absolutely not. The clutters would never still be asleep and be late for church so he gets this idea to drive to this building called the teacherage which is a place that they that like a lot of the teachers in the town live it's kind of like an apartment complex but just for teachers so like if you combine the words teacher and village yes they live in the teacherage yes got it okay Well, this is where Susan lived because her mother was a teacher at the Holcomb School. And Mary's dad was like, let's drive down there, see if Susan has heard from them or knows anything because she goes to church with them also. Well, obviously she hadn't. She hadn't heard anything. Her mom suggests that they call the clutter's house, so they do, and there's no answer. And then they get the idea of... Mary and Susan going with Mary's dad back to the house and Susan going in the house because she's Nancy's best friend. She's been in the house a lot more than Mary has. It would not have been as quote unquote disrespectful for her to have went in and woke them up if they were sleeping. So they get back to the house, but something about it makes Susan uneasy and she's like, I don't want to go in by myself. And Mary's dad is like, well, I can't go in the house because I've never been invited in the house before. Is he a vampire? No, no, no. No. It's just they're trying not to be rude. They're trying not to be rude if the clutters are sleeping because there are different kinds of code of etiquette back then. Yeah, and people were very respectful of people's homes. And unless you were invited into that home... Like, at least once. Right. Like, you didn't just walk in unless you were comfortable with the family. Exactly. I I get that to a certain extent, but if there's that level of concern and you don't want to call the police... Well, they're not really concerned at this point. They think they overslept. They think they overslept. And he also doesn't want to go in because he's still wearing his work boots from the night before. Like, he just put on his work boots from the night before that morning to drive his daughter there. And he doesn't want to wear his work boots in these people's house that he's never been invited into before. Gotcha. I mean, I I understand why he's doing all this. But at this point, if you have two girls that are like, eh, this situation's kind of, let's call the police. Well, Mary agrees to go in with Susan. So both girls go in the house together. They go through the kitchen, so the back door. And they 
see Nancy's purse laying on the floor dumped out. Then they kind of step around it. They go up the stairs to Nancy's room because they their idea was we'll just go wake up Nancy. Nancy, yeah. And she can wake up the rest of the family. Makes sense. Right. So they go up the stairs to her room. When they open the door, they're immediately hit by light from the outside, which they're like, this is weird. Why would she have not drawn her curtains? Because, mm-hmm. you know, as full as the moon was the night before, why wouldn't she have closed her curtains to block out the light? Well, then they kind of turn the corner and see Nancy laying in bed, and there's blood everywhere. Yikes. Oh, boy. So both girls scream, run back to Mary's father, and they're yelling, Nancy is dead, Nancy's dead, Nancy's dead. But at the same time, Susan is yelling, no, she's not, no, she's not. I think she just had a nosebleed. So Mary's dad is like, Okay, well, is she dead? Does she need an ambulance? So he goes back. He goes into the back door of the kitchen to try to call police and an ambulance, but the phone line had been cut. So he gets the girls back in the car and drives back to Susan's house to call the police. But at this time, he's still just thinking they need an ambulance. Well, the sheriff meets him and another guy named Larry Hendricks, who was an English teacher at the school and had heard all the commotion, and his wife pretty much was like, you need to go see what's going on. Oh, sent him to figure out what the commotion was. So he ended up going with Mary's father to meet the sheriff at the clutter house. And these three men go into the clutter home. And this is like at 9.35. So there's no ambulance with them at this point? No, it's just the sheriff. And this sheriff know is it's like the same deal as Mary's dad. He knows of the clutters, but he's never spent time with the clutters. Right. Well, and he had also called what they call the under sheriff. I didn't really know what that means. I'm assuming it's like the next level down from a sheriff. He had called him to meet at the house also, but that person wasn't there yet. So upstairs, because they go into Nancy's room first, because that's where the girls claim they saw somebody. Claimed they saw Nancy covered in blood. They find Nancy laying on her side in her bed facing the wall. She was covered up with her blankets all the way to past her shoulders. So the only thing showing was her head. She had been shot in the back of the head. just two inches away from her head with a shotgun. Jesus. Holy crap. There was blood everywhere, like on the walls, on her bed. It was a bloody mess. Yeah, I can imagine. When Sheriff Robert Robinson pulled the blanket away, she was wearing her pajamas, a robe, socks, and slippers. So this made him think that she was not asleep when she got shot. Yeah. But the biggest thing that made him think she was not asleep was that her hands were tied behind her back and her ankles were tied together. I'd say that's a good sign that they were not asleep when this went down. Right. So 
Robinson described this rope as being like what you what would be used on Venetian blinds. So it's like a thin, super strong, durable, almost like a twine, but it's still a rope. If Wait, that makes sense. I thought they had the like the more silky with the tassels on the end type of rope. No, he's talking about thing? like this. Like the thi- like the kind you would pull your shades up and down. Oh, so real thin. Yeah. Gotcha. But it's like super durable and strong. That's what it reminded him him of. But I think it was a little thicker than. Okay. It's probably that. like that that white ball of twine that you can. Yeah, like buy that. Because it was described store. as being white, and they had bought all of what the store had at the time. Going down the hall, they started checking the rooms. The English teacher, he like opened a door, which was the bathroom, and he was there was a dining room chair sitting in the bathroom, which he thought was weird. And then they open the door to what was Kenyon's room, and it was empty, but his glasses were beside his bed on a bookshelf. And again, the English teacher is like, he can't see without his glasses. Right. So he like thought that was really weird that he wasn't here and didn't have his glasses on. Right. When they came to the room where Bonnie slept, she was also in her bed with her hands tied in front of her with this cord running down to her ankles, which were tied together. And then her ankle, the cord then ran to the footboard and was tied to the footboard. I don't like that. And her mouth was taped like around her head. Okay. And people describe like it was described like her hands were tied like she was praying, like they were in the praying position. And she had been shot in the side of the head again at point blank range. Was that also somewhere else and then placed in the bed or No. In the bed. In the bed. She was shot in the bed. As they were, they came back downstairs. They started searching the main floor because at this point now they're looking for Kenyon and Herb. Like, where are they? They go in the master bedroom and they don't, Herb isn't in there. But his wallet is like dumped out on the bed. Well, at this point in time, they hear someone walking up the basement steps and they're like, oh shit. Oh, shit. Well, it turns out to be it was the undersheriff. He had come in while they were upstairs, and he found Kenyon's body down in the basement. So he was like, there's another body in the basement, but I don't, I don't see Herb. Well, they all go into the basement. Kenyon is laying on the couch in the basement. He's wearing a T-shirt and jeans, but no shoes. So it makes the sheriff think he was forced to get dressed super fast. Yeah. He is tied similar to how his mom was tied, except the rope was also wrapped around his neck. So if and he was tied to the arm of the couch. So if he would have moved, he would have strangled himself. And they thought it was weird because he had a pillow under his head, but it looked like it had been put there on purpose like not that it was like already on the couch so it kind of confused them because the sheriff was like at first like why would they shove a pillow under his head 
But then someone in the room was like, maybe to elevate his head to make it easier to shoot because he was shot face on, like straight on. In the face. Yes. Jesus. Oh, boy. So at this point, they still haven't found Herb. And they are looking around the basement and they see that there's a furnace room, which is where Herb is. He's laying on a large cardboard mattress box, which they also think is weird that the that whoever did this would take the time to lay him on a cardboard box instead of just laying him on the floor. His mouth is also taped, and I forgot to say uh, Kenyon's mouth was taped as well, but he actually had tape stuffed in his mouth too, and it was taped. Herb's mouth is taped like Bonnie's where it's like wrapped around his head and both of his hands were free from the rope like he had gotten the rope off at some point because the rope was laying there next to him. He had also been shot straight on like Kenyon but the killers had also stabbed him in the throat. Oh shit. Seems a little overboard. When they like you know, looks around the room, they found a piece of this cord or rope or whatever you want to call it tied to a metal pipe above them. So at first they thought maybe Herb was tied up on this pipe Uh before he was killed and like maybe they just cut him down is why his hands weren't tied anymore. There was also half of a a boot print on the cardboard box in blood and it had this like unique pattern to it that they described as looking like it had like cat eyes in the sole of the shoe all right weird i mean shoe prints can be almost as identifiable as fingerprints so after a complete search of the house the only things that they found out of order was Nancy's purse and Herb's wallet. That was it. Like, everything else about the house looked perfectly fine. No open safe anywhere? No. So I'm sure he didn't have one, did he? You're going to find out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, obviously, Sheriff Robinson was not equipped to deal with this case. He was the sheriff of Fulcombe. Like, the biggest crime he had ever dealt with was the occasional drunken fight. So he called in the Kansas City Bureau of of Investigations that was located in Topeka, Kansas, and they assigned an, an investigator to this case. This guy's name was Alvin Adams Dewey, and he actually went to the same church as the Clutters. He knew them personally. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. The first suspect was Bobby Rupp because he had been the last person known to be in the house. But he told them his whole story. Then he told it again while hooked to a polygraph machine and he passed the polygraph so he was quickly ruled out and besides the fact when Dewey went to go interview him him and Susan were literally so devastated and crying so hard that they could barely hold each other up yeah and so he almost didn't even interview him but he said he had no choice because he was the last person. Right. Well, that I had mean, seen he was him. also, he was what, 16? He was 16? 
at the time. Yes. He was a 16-year-old boy. Like, yeah. To do that by himself would have taken a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was also better to just rule him out as a suspect. Dewey could not figure out why exactly the Clutter family was even killed. Like, there was nothing obvious missing from this house except a handheld radio that was in Kenyon's room. And the only reason why they found that out is because they had the housekeeper go through the entire house and tell them if anything was missing. And she went through this entire house with Dewey, and the only thing she saw missing was this radio. And she did miss something, but it was in Herb's office. There was also a pair of binoculars missing. I mean, they were nice binoculars, but neither thing is relevant. Right. They also found a watch that... um. Nancy had gotten from Herb as a gift like the summer before and it was said to be like her most prized possession it was a gold watch it was inside of her shoe in her closet so it made Dewey go okay she knew somebody was in her house and she took her most prized possession and shoved it in her shoe to try to keep it from being taken not thinking these people are going to kill me right And also, they had left all the jewelry on Bonnie's body. Like, she was wearing diamond rings and shit, and they just left it. These two sound like idiots. The only two people, there was only two people in this town that had a beef with Herb, and he interviewed them both, and they both had rock-solid alibis, so they were quickly ruled out. At the Clutter family's funeral... There was a thousand people that attended this funeral. Whoa. And 600 of them attended the service at the cemetery after the actual funeral. And it's kind of like another thing that was like a little controversial is Beverly decided at this point after the funeral was done to just go ahead and marry her fiancé because all of the family was already there and she didn't want to give up the things that her parents had already paid for. I mean... Yeah, I get it to a certain extent, but at the same time, like, wedding and a funeral, that's not the way I want to remember my wedding day. No, but, I mean, I see why she did it. She didn't want all of their money... To have gone to waste. Yeah, I get that. Okay, so at this point, the Hutchinson News, which is a Kansas newspaper, offered a $1,000 reward for the solution to this crime. And so they started getting like a million tips, but they it was just like stupid people calling and being like, send me the reward and then I'll tell you who yeah. committed the crime. People mm-hmm. that just wanted $1,000. Yeah. So they had taken pictures of every square inch of the Clutter's house. And when the pictures got developed and came back and they saw something in the picture that they had taken of the bloody footprint, there was another footprint in the dust that you couldn't see with your naked eye, but the flash of the camera picked it up. Uh And it was from a different, like the print was different than the one in the blood. So this is the first time they were like, there's two killers. 
like there's not just one person. So it would be a few weeks after Christmas. No, that's not right. A few weeks before Christmas, Dewey got a call from the Kansas City State Penitentiary because Floyd Wells saw the newspaper, had seen the news, and had went back and forth with himself and decided, like, he kept going back and forth because he didn't want to be a narc in prison. Yeah. Like, he didn't want his life to be jeopardized because he's telling on these people while he's in prison. But finally, he decides, fuck it, I'm going to tell what I know. So he tells Dewey, he knows who killed them, he knows it was Hickok, and Smith. And at first, Dewey's like, okay, whatever. But then he starts, you know, telling him, like, all these things he had told Hickok and how Hickok had been walking around saying he was going to go kill them and rob them. And Dewey questioned him. He was like, if you actually worked for the Clutter family, how do you not know that Herb never carried cash? And he's like, I mean, I just thought I saw him pay someone in cash. And so that's kind of why at first Dewey didn't believe him. He's yeah. like, if you knew him, you would have known he only paid with checks. Anyway, he finally believes them, believes Wells, and he goes on a hunt for Hickok and Smith. And he puts like a, a, a uh, APB out on them because when he goes to Hickok's house, his parents think he's there for the bad check charges and are like he ran with this stupid guy named Smith that we hate and we can't get him to listen to us and we think they went to Mexico. Well, they did go to Mexico for like a tiny bit, but they decided to come back to the United States and kind of hitchhike around and just work odd jobs and do small crimes and make money and then go back to Mexico once they actually had money. So in Mexico, Smith sent all of his like worldly possessions to Las Vegas because he didn't want to leave. He didn't want to lose the shit like his shit was super important to him. So he shipped it all to Las Vegas and their plan was to hitchhike to Las Vegas, get the stuff, steal a car, whatever. Well, when they get to Las Vegas, which is not like right when they leave Mexico, like they do what they said. They hitchhike around the United States. They go to Florida. They go all over the place, writing bad checks, doing stupid stuff. This is also what leads the cops to them sort of because he's writing these checks in his own name. Of course. So they finally go to Las Vegas. And Smith, the first thing he wants to do in the stolen car is go get his stuff. He's like, let me go get my stuff from the post office. Well, these two Nevada police officers spot them at the post office, arrest them because there's an APB out on them. And they say that these two Nevada police officers had like memorized everyone that had APBs out on them. Oh, jeez. And so as soon as they spotted them in this car, because the car had been reported stolen and all these things, they were like, yep, got them, arrested them. And funny enough, this big box of crap that Smith had sent 
had the two pairs of boots in it that they wore when they committed the <laughs> clutter. What an idiot. Good job, murderers. Good job. Handing police evidence. We like that. So then it becomes like uh, the Kansas troopers come to Nevada. They interrogate them. At first, they say they try to tell the story of the sister and the money, and they were no, they don't even know where Holcomb is. The police like end the interrogation. They separate them. They have them on two different floors in this prison, so they can have no contact with each other. And they're both like freaking the fuck out. Like, oh, I bet because Dewey had told. Smith and another cop had told Hickok that they had a witness to these crimes. Holy shit. Which is exactly what Hickok didn't want. Which is exactly what Hickok didn't want. Well, he was the dumbass going around prison telling everybody. Someone, well, yeah, when I get out, I'm going to go kill these people. Yeah. Well, Hickok realized who this witness was, that it was Floyd Wells, and he was like, I'm going to kill that motherfucker as soon as I get back in jail. But Smith thought they meant they had an eyewitness, like one of the Clutter family had survived or the neighbor or like the farmhand had Albert had seen something. So he's like literally having a panic attack and is like, what is Hickok telling them? But Hickok had come up with this whole story like they went to get this money. They couldn't find Smith's sister she had moved so they went to the post office to try to find her forwarding address and they didn't have it so then they drove back to Kansas City and picked up some prostitutes and got drunk and blah 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 blah. but the problem was is the cops were like okay first of all the post office is closed on Saturday afternoon second of all we know Smith doesn't have a sister who lives in Kansas third of all they're just like shooting down his story yeah but he's like sticking to it well then the next day smith starts telling the same exact story because they had planned this out but on the first day smith had panicked and forgotten all the details but overnight he was like oh yeah this is what we did blah blah blah. well then they tell smith that hickok confessed Mm -hmm. but said that he did it that smith killed everyone It is a good police tactic to use. But the truth is, is Hickok did. He did. After hours of interrogation, he finally just put his head down when they had blown holes through all of his shit and was like, yeah, uh, we did that. And um, he shot them all. But it was my idea to rob them. So when Hickok confessed, then... Smith at first was like, no, I'm not telling you a damn thing and like went silent. And then but on the ride back to Kansas, because they had Smith in one car with two officers, Hickok in another car with two officers. Smith could see Hickok in the car in front of him, like like just chatting it up with these cops. And he was like, this motherfucker is blaming this all on me. And he is like tells Dewey because Dewey's in his car I'll tell you everything I'll tell you everything that happened step by step and so that's what he does from Nevada back to Kansas is tell him step by step what happened through the all the murders and he says that he killed the two men so Herb and Kenyon and that Hickok 
killed Nancy and Bonnie. So then it became an issue of one's word against the other. But Dewey was like, I don't really care. I have enough stuff against you two that I don't care. And Hickok had like wrote his confession in Nevada and signed it. And they tr- they wanted Smith to sign his confession once he got back to Kansas. But Dewey didn't really need it. It was like, I'll take it if you're going to give it, but I don't really need it. But then finally Smith was like, I'll sign the confession, but I need you to fix things in it first. And so his story then changed to he did kill all four people. That Hickok was a pansy that chickened out and he was so furious and was trying to teach Hickok a lesson that he stabbed Herb in the throat. So Herb was the first one he killed and he stabbed him in the throat. He claimed it was like in his fit of rage at Hickok and that he didn't even realize he had done it until he heard it, like heard him gagging. And so then he was like, I had to shoot him because he was going to die and I couldn't just let him lay there and die. So he shot him. And then at that point, he was like, it was too late. I had to kill all of them because I had just killed their dad. So Hickok plans this and then Smith, Mr. Freelove, is the one who does all of the killing? Yeah, because his rage went from zero to 500 because he was pissed off at Hickok. Yeah, roping him to this whole thing when there was nothing there. There was no money. Well, then he should have stabbed Hickok in the throat. Right. And then shot him in the face. Oh, well, he he said that afterwards, once they got back in the car, it took everything in him not to kill Hickok because he was also a witness to these murders. And Hickok had said no witnesses. But at the same time, Hickok was thinking about killing him also because no witnesses. So it was all a big Shit shit show. And they literally, out of this house, only got $50, the pair of binoculars, and that stereo. That's all they got. And they were in the house for a long time. Because Smith explains that at first they put them all in the bathroom. Hickok guarded the door while he searched the house for the safe and money because they had woken the family up demanding to know where the safe was. Even though Herb had told them, there is no safe, I don't keep cash. And Smith said he believed him. And at first tried to get Hickok to just leave. Let's just leave. He has no money. We're not going to get in trouble for anything. We haven't stolen anything. We haven't hurt anybody. Let's just get out of here before it gets too bad. But Hickok refused to believe there was no money. So they searched the house. They take Herb down to the basement. Well, Smith does. Smith takes him down into the basement, ties him up in the furnace room. Then he goes back upstairs. He gets Kenyon. He ties him up on the basement couch. And he said he looked as he was walking back up the stairs, Kenyon started coughing. And he was like, I knew that he was going to choke to death if I didn't shove a pillow under his neck. So I shoved the pillow under his neck. And he even said when he laid Herb down in the basement that he's the one who put the cardboard box there because he didn't want to 
he didn't want such a good man to have to lay on a dirty floor. But then you shot him in the face. Yeah. And the rope that was hanging from the pipe, originally, that's where they put Kenyon, is hanging from that pipe. But then Smith thought better of it and decided not to leave him there because he was like, what if one of them gets loose and they let the other one go? So he cut Kenyon down and moved him to the couch. Then he goes upstairs and he gets Bonnie and he ties her up in her bed. And she, he said, she begged him to not let Hickok do anything unsavory to Nancy because she just didn't trust him. And Smith was like, oh, trust me, he's not going to do anything to her. She'll be okay. Then when he came out of Bonnie's room, Hickok was sitting in Nancy's room with her instead of her still being locked in the bathroom. And they were talking to each other. And Smith was like, dude, get out of this room. Go search the damn house while I tie her up. So then Hickok goes and searches the whole house and Smith sits there after he ties Nancy up and has a whole ass conversation with her. Then Hickok comes back, hasn't found anything. Then they proceed to go back through and then tape everybody's mouth closed except Nancy because on their way to Nancy's room, Hickok said he was going to smash her to Smith. Those were his words. I'm going to smash her. And Smith had a fucking cow. It's like 50 years before the Jersey Shore started saying it. Smith had a cow. And he was like, there's no way in hell you're raping this little girl. You will have to kill me first. And literally was claiming that to him, rape was worse than murder. I mean, he made a promise. So then after they kill her, after he kills Herb... He describes Hickok as literally, at this point, being a blubbering idiot. Like, he's just panicking. And so Smith is, like, screaming at him to get the shell casings. And so Hickok is literally just running behind him, frantic. And every time he shoots one of them, it was his job to find the shell casing. And he said the only reason why he was finally going to tell the truth and tell that he was the one who actually shot all four people was because he liked Hickok's mom and didn't want her to believe that her son was a murderer because he wasn't actually a murderer. The dude's got some serious, like, conflicting view. Like, he's got... Yeah, and that's what they said. And the guy who wrote this, Truman, who wrote this book, actually became super close to Smith. And they all, even the cops, said he was very conflicted because at on one side he wanted to do good, to do good, and make sure they were comfortable, and he didn't really want to do this in the first fucking place. And then, but on the other side, he was like a ruthless killer that just snapped and just did what he had to do. I'm not going to lie; if there was any case where a person could claim that they blacked out from rage it might be this one so they got they were arrested whatever they their trial was um on march 22nd 1960 they were both pretty much appointed defense attorneys because neither of them had money 
and neither defense attorney wanted anything to do with this case because it was such huge news that they didn't want the backlash from the community from trying to represent these two dudes. But they did it anyway because they were ordered by a judge. The defense attorneys were pretty much like, the only thing you can hope for is that you don't get the death penalty. Like, we're not going to be able to find any kind of defense that's going to get you two out of this. You confessed to it, but you just got to hope we can keep you from getting the death penalty. Right. Because the prosecutor was seeking the death penalty. Well, they went to trial. It lasted, I think, a couple of weeks. But their lawyers did try to pull the defense of insanity because of both, one, because of how Smith's childhood was and because of the accident that Hickok had had and the brain damage that it had caused. I have a question. Could they ever prove that Smith didn't have multiple personalities? No. Some people think he might have. That's kind of what I'm getting from him. Well, their trial was in Garden City, and the lawyers told them not to try to move the trial because they said no matter where they went, they weren't going to get a fair trial. But they thought that if they went, if they did the state in Garden City, it was very religious place. And even the Clutter family's own minister was preaching to his congregation that they shouldn't give these men the death penalty. But it didn't matter. After only 40 minutes of deliberation, the jury found them both guilty on four counts of murder. They actually went to trial together at the same time. And they wanted the punishment to be death. Well, when they were walking out of the courtroom, they were walking out like side by side. And I just thought I'd put this in because... It was like a big deal in the newspaper. I guess Smith looked at Hickok and made the comment, no chicken-hearted juries here kind of a deal. Like, well, you know, almost like a, well, that didn't go very well. I feel like he was basically saying they got more balls than you, asshole. Pretty much. But they both started laughing. And at the exact time, a reporter, like, took a photo of them. So then it was put in the newspaper and called the last laugh that they would have together. They did get new lawyers eventually and did avoid three execution dates because of these new lawyers. But the Supreme Court ruled on Wednesday, April 14th, 1965, that between midnight and 2 a.m., both men would be executed by hanging in the gallows. Oh, whoa. And so Dewey and the other three cops that had, like, been working on this case went to these executions, and they said, like, they each got, each each of them got the same exact thing as the last meal. I think it was, like, some tacos and, like, nobody knows exactly what they got, but neither one of them ate any of it. When they... They also, like, newspapers were, like, saying things like, oh, they're, the guys are arguing over who gets to die first kind of a deal. And it was said that Smith was like, it's only fair to go in alphabetical order. I mean. <laughs> like, he should go first. <laughs> right. And that's 
ultimately what they ended up doing. Hickok went to the gallows at 12.41 a.m. And the way it was set up in Kansas is the gallows were inside this big warehouse. So they weren't like out in the elements. They were inside this warehouse that was hooked to the prison. And when he got to the bottom of the steps, he actually like shook hands with the cops that arrested him, arrested him and thanked them for being nice to him. So then they did the whole thing. Their executioner was actually a man from Missouri. Then Smith came out. And he, when he was asked, like, do you have any final words? He said, it doesn't matter what I say. Even if I apologize, none of you will care. And just know I truly am sorry. And at the time, he was, like, chewing bubble gum. And so when they went to put the mask on his head, the judge was like, dude, spit out the gum. So that happened. And at that point, Dewey was like, I can't watch this happen again. And especially kind of with Smith, because he was like the size of a child. Yeah. So when he was hung, it looked because his face was covered. It looked like a child hanging there. Well, years and years and years later. So the last thing I'm going to tell you in 2012. So from 1959 to 2012, the floor, the uh, Sarasota, Florida police had thought that Hickok and Smith were responsible for the murders of another whole family called the Walker family that happened in 1960 like I think it was only like a month after the Clutter family and it kind of had the same MO as the Clutter family's deaths except that Mrs. Walker had been raped well they decided in 2012 to exhume Hickok and Smith's bodies to try to extract DNA from them to see if they could match it to the semen that they had saved since 1960, but it came back inconclusive. Which doesn't mean they didn't do it. Exactly. And as far as Florida is concerned, they are the only suspects in the Walker family murder. So that is the end of my story. Holy crap. Maybe someday I will tell you about the Walker family. But I don't know, because I think it's even more brutal. Oh, boy. Because they had two small children. That's, mm, that's not good. Before we get into final thoughts, though, I would like to say, with this story, there is a haunted legend of a large bloodstain in the basement of the Clutter family home that can't be washed or painted away. No matter how hard you scrub, how much you paint over it, it always comes back. I could see that because it was a place of brutal crime. I do know that in 2019, the house was up for, was going up for sale because the people who owned it before had passed away and their daughter was selling it. And from everything I've heard... The house has not been changed at all. It's exactly the same as it looked when the Clutter family lived there. That's crazy. Yeah. And the people who owned it, like, that had passed away, they actually got in trouble because, like, people were coming from all over the world to see this house. And so, you know, they capitalized on that and were charging people $5 for tours. And they didn't have proper (laughs) permits. 
<laughs> so it, it got shut down and the police and the townspeople refused to let them have permits. Well, they were all really close to the family. Yeah. Well, this is like recently. Yeah, like well, in the two, I'm sure in the 2000s. I'm they just sure their family members They didn't want the town to keep having that much publicity. Yeah. They didn't want all these strangers in and out of their town. Wow, what a story. That that's too much. Those two were ridiculous. Well, if you liked the story or enjoyed Sarah's telling of the story, let us know. Wherever you're listening, hop on there, give us five stars, give us a follow, leave a review, share it with your friends so they can hear this. If you want to see pictures, uh, we should have some on the Instagram, at Missing Murdered Haunted. You can find links or send links to your friends from our Facebook, Missing Murdered Haunted Podcast. Um, And if you have case suggestions, send those to our email, missingmurderedhaunted at gmail.com. Does anyone have anything else they'd like to add in? Nope. I don't think so. That was quite gonna, a story. I'm gonna it s- felt like it was like a like a movie worthy, like a like yeah. a Turner classic movie style like story. Yeah. Is there a movie about this? There is. But it's it it's like in that genre. Like it came out not long after the book. Gotcha. And I'm tell you read the book in Cold Blood by Truman Capote because it reads like it's not a true story, but it is a true story, and it will give you so many emotions. All right. Well, we'll see y'all next week. Bye. 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 Bye.